if the natural world is a reflection of God's character, then there's no fear of studying that to, and, and, be, and being fearful that it's going to tell me something that's not true. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to another summer bonus episode of the Christ and Culture podcast. I'm Nathaniel Williams, the editor and content manager here at the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture. In today's bonus episode, I get to sit down and talk with Dr. Greg Davidson about faith and science and his work in both of those realms and how these two topics intersect. We hope this episode and this conversation helps tide you over until our new season debuts in a few weeks here in the fall. But just before we jump into the conversation, as always, a reminder, go ahead and give us that rating and review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. That goes a long way to helping us spread the word about the Christ and Culture podcast. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Greg Davidson. Are science and faith enemies, or are they friends, or are they something else? Well, Greg Davidson is professor and chair of geology and geological engineering at University of Mississippi, specializing in hydrology and geochemistry. His professional writing is divided between the purely scientific, usually tied in some way to water, and the intersection of science and the Christian faith. Dr. Davidson, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Well, let's begin. Just tell us a little bit about your story. How did you come to Christ, and how did you come to be interested in science more broadly? So the the first part of that question uh, I like to describe as the odd and wonderful combination of having been raised in an extended family where both my grandfathers were preachers and my father was a biologist. So I got this juxtaposition of the right there in the family history and and the science in such a way where my grandfathers were very comfortable with science. My scientist father was very comfortable with theology and and was very much devoted to the Christian faith. And so they, they were I was never presented with that as an obstacle or something that was in conflict. Uh, My own spiritual journey, having been raised in that kind of an environment, it was kind of the the, the classical, you know, I don't remember a time when I didn't believe, uh, though I did experience as I was moving into like later high school years of that transformation of something that was my my parents faith into something that was my own and with then some later contemplations where by the time I was in grad school and in the you know a secular university and talking to people that were very diverse in their backgrounds and beliefs and starting to to come to grips with the fact that I was a Christian or that if I was if I was raised in America, I was likely to be a Christian. If I was raised in the Middle East, I was likely to be a uh, Muslim, and didn't want to be a, a geographical Christian. Hmm. Well, if, th- if this was truth, I wanted to to be uh, something that was based on reality, right? Yeah. On, on something yeah. that that was eternal, 
not just where I was born. And so I embarked on kind of this personal odyssey of reading the Quran and the Bhagavad Gita and the teachings of Confucius, um, the Book of Mormon, and even the book, even the Bible, but translated by Jewish rabbis that don't accept the New Testament. And there are some subtle differences in the way the Old Testament is, is translated from that, that perspective. And one of the things that, that came out of that was a very deep conviction that the Christian faith was uniquely true. So how did you become interested in science, uh, just broadly? You mentioned that, I mean, it's uh, just as faith was a part of your uh, your raising, it seems that science was too, just because it's part of your family uh, vocational history. Yeah, yeah, sort of ingrained into my DNA, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah. So what, I mentioned that the two grandfathers were preachers. Uh, one of them was full-time preacher. That was all he did. Uh, the other was a rancher preacher. So he actually, we had a family cattle ranch out in Nebraska, the Sand Hills, and whenever we would go out to the ranch, uh, there's this long kind of sandy dirt driveway that went all the way through the, the homestead. And every summer, I, I would get together with my cousins and we'd get the, the hose out and, and, and start this little river from the hose running down the driveway. And we would make diversions and little dams and and so there was this sort of natural draw not only to, to nature but specifically to water and that leads to your interest in specifically hydrology and geochemistry here you are as a kid doing uh, in a small sense what you're doing vocationally now is that correct exactly so that was kind of sowing the seeds for that interest in water such that later in life when i also combined that with an awareness of global needs and recognizing that we're never going to run out of our need for water, right? Water is going to be one of the limiting factors and the consistent and greatest material need of humanity. Because, you know, even if we think like, well, wait a minute, what about food? Well, if you don't have water, you don't have food. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So water is a very fundamental need. And we, you know, even living in an area in Mississippi where you've got plenty of rainfall, uh, the aquifers are being pumped faster than they're being replenished. And so there are long-term concerns about the future availability of water for irrigation, for drinking, that ends up now being one of my primary areas of scientific research. Interesting. Now, just uh, I'm curious, is that a consistent problem across probably where all of us live? Uh, the, the aquifers are being drained to an unhealthy degree? Uh, not everywhere. Uh, though it is a common problem, especially in areas uh, where you have intensive agriculture. So the Mississippi Delta region, uh, which is part of the floodplain of the Mississippi River, is one of the three most overdrafted aquifers in the country, along with the San Joaquin Valley in California and the Ogallala Aquifer in the Midwest. Now, um, you grew up in a context where you had, in a sense, modeled for you, it seems to me, about how to integrate faith and science. These two, it was it fair to say, did never seemed in conflict for you growing up? Yeah, there was never a sense of, of them being in conflict in my home, uh, in large part because of a recognition of like Romans one twenty, that talks about the character of God being manifest in his creation. And so if the natural world is a reflection of God's character, then there's no fear of studying that and, and, being, and being fearful that it's going to tell me something that's not true. 
So there was a real freedom there to explore and discover things in God's creation to see how things work now and how things may have, have worked or changed in the past. So, some of our listeners, I imagine, grew, grew up in a, probably a very different context uh, where they see faith and science as um, maybe not being opposed, but at least there being some friction and some tension there. And I, and I can even think I'm a pastor and, and folks in my church, conversations we've had where um, you know, you can tell that there's just a little resistance, a little fear of of heading down that path. So what would you tell them? Since this is kind of your interest, this is, um, and you model this for us, what would you tell them about about the integration of these two things, faith and science? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll take one step back from okay. that to just kind of talk about why I've made that an area of, of um, attention yeah, yeah, and yeah. outreach. And I, I kind of compare it to something like baptism, that if within the church we have people that, that you know, one group that, that holds to an infant baptism, one group that's holding to a believer's baptism, and for the most part, you know, people within those groups will say, you know, they, they think that their understanding is correct and the other's wrong, but they're not going to draw a line in the sand and say that the others are not believers. They're not genuine Christians, so there's still a desire to have unity within the body. Uh, if the subjects of science that seem to be in conflict with the Bible, if the church was treating those in a similar fashion, I probably wouldn't be doing this. Hmm. But because it has been a, a source of polarization where some parts of the, the body are saying that other parts aren't real Christians, uh, and the impact that has on missions and on and our own children that are struggling with faith, that, that elevated that to something that very much concerned me and was willing to invest a lot of time. One of the things that I've tried to do is is to kind of drill down to what the root causes of that are. And I'll share two things. One is that there's this sense that especially evangelicals are anti-science, which is actually not true at all. Uh, most evangelicals are very much pro-science. Pro science. What they don't trust are scientists. Mm. Right, so they, they think key distinction that, there. Yeah, that there are that there's a large percentage of those that are practicing science that aren't doing it correctly, uh, and so there's a mistrust of what's coming out of that arena because they don't trust the people that are doing it. Uh, and that so now, if I kind of back up a little bit more within the church, we often don't realize the degree to which we're influenced by. Our, our heritage. So in particularly the American church, we're, we're very much influenced by Western European history. And if you if we look at you know the last thousand years and you start seeing the, the Western culture come through a period of humanism where human logic and, and reason is being elevated and moving into the Renaissance and the Reformation, on into the scientific revolution and the age of enlightenment, there was this elevation of scientific and journalistic history uh, that was considered the highest form of communicating truth. Well, we're products of that heritage. And so the church, without consciously thinking about it, has taken that understanding and said, okay, if the highest form of communicating truth is, is, his, is uh, scientific, and journalistic history, then the Bible must be scientific and journalistic history. And 
we don't realize the degree to which that secular framework has been imposed on the Bible, where we're, we're, we're viewing it through a scientific secular lens and forcing it to, to, to be saying things that it was never intended to do. So when I lift that off and I start to look at, wait, what, what was the culture into which this, this was written? I mean, a lot of those apparent conflicts just dissolve and this tremendous beauty starts to come out of the scriptures, which has led to, to, in my case, to even things like teaming up with an Old Testament and Hebrew scholar, Kenneth Turner, to write a book called The Manifold Beauty of Genesis 1 that has almost no science in it at all. It's, it's almost all theology that's laying out layers of complementary understanding to the Genesis story, all adhering to orthodox evangelical theology, that there, there is no conflict with the science in any of that. Yeah, in other words, you're saying that uh, for too many of us, maybe we are looking for the Bible to answer questions it was never really intended to answer, right? We, we're, we're bringing our Western mindset into our reading of the scriptures. And when we kind of disentangle those things and, and, and read it in the context for which it was written, it helps free us of something. That, that's what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so, and, and when we're looking at what does what is the Bible saying and is it in conflict with science? What we're really asking is, what, what do we mean when we say that the Bible is true? Mm. And we we don't sufficiently appreciate as, as, with the church at large uh, the the nuances of a simple term like inerrancy. And one of the ways I've started to to talk about that is the difference between comprehensive inerrancy and message inerrancy, where we're starting with this fundamental belief and assumption the Bible is true, but you've got one group that's saying that that truth includes every subject on which the Bible touches, it's intending to speak with authority. And so if it touches on nature, even though the Bible's not a science book, it intends to do so authoritatively, and it's not going to affirm any falsehood. Whereas uh, the other groups affirming more of a message inerrancy are still saying the Bible's true, but that God was making use of nature as it was understood at the time to communicate eternal truths about his kingdom and his relationship with his people. And that's not a new concept. You can look at the writings of John Calvin or Augustine, and they were talking about divine accommodation, where God speaking and accommodating to the understanding of, of the people of the time to illustrate these eternal truths. Like the idea of the sun rising and the sun setting. Technically, it doesn't do that, but but that's how they understood it to be. Right. Yeah. Or even Jesus saying that uh, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. You know, we're, we're quick to think of belief with the heart as being just an idiom. But if you go back to that time, there you read the writings of natural philosophers that were debating the function of the heart and the other organs of the mm -hmm. body. And you know, if you were adhering to this comprehensive inerrancy, then you would have to uh, arrive at the conclusion that Jesus was settling that question, that the heart is actually capable of belief. And but yet, instead, he was using the language that they understood uh, to right. say that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and you can imagine, you know, if, if he started that with, well, I know you think the heart is capable of belief, but then instead of focusing <laughs> on the intended message, they get caught up in... You know, discussions about the, the function of, of organs, right, right. which is not the intent. Right. And you now fast forward 2,000 years. Do we understand the meaning of that message any less because we have a greater understanding of 
where belief resides and where thought and cognition resides? Not at all. Yeah. Because that yeah. was not the intention of Scripture, right? The, the, the inerrancy comes in the communication of the message mm. of the text. Definitely lots of more work and conversations to be had there. Let me ask you another question. Um, we've kind of talked about the potential pushback from our evangelical side to your to your work as a scientist. Do you experience pushback from the scientific side uh, of those who look at your faith and are kind of squeamish at that? I mean, do you, do you see pushback from the other side? Uh, so I definitely see pushback on my faith in general. Mm. In terms of the speaking to the religious community, to Christians, about science— uh, many of them are actually glad that somebody's doing that uh, because one of the, the results of that is a greater appreciation and acceptance of science. So they, they do see the value in that. But it doesn't generate any interest on their part in affirming that faith. And where that faith then spills out into disagreements with their, or with their worldview, uh, some of them can get very ugly about mm. that. Mm. In a sense, you're kind of caught between two worlds here. You, you got a foot in, in the scientific world, you've got a foot in the faith world, and here you are trying to bring these two worlds together, and you're kind of uh, facing resistance on either side uh, in that work. Uh, t- there's some degree of that, yes, with various factions, yeah. uh, which it, it's not to be unexpected that any right. place, any area in which you um, exhibit your Christian faith, you can expect some pushback from the world and from those within the church that, if I may say so, are reading the Bible incorrectly. As a father, uh, a couple of my kids have expressed interest in science in various things. One of, one of my, my daughter, for example, has said that she's, she wants to be a scientist when she grows up. And I imagine that other people, maybe others who are listening, their kids uh, have an interest in these scientific fields. I feel like sometimes uh, we in uh, evangelical communities have not done a good job of cultivating that or almost a fear of them going into that sphere. Um, how can we appropriately cultivate those things? If this is an interest or a calling that God's placed in their heart now, who knows when they're five, right? <laughs> who knows what God's going to call them to do? Right. But down the road, uh, if it seems that God's cultivating this interest in their lives, how can we as parents or as pastors or as church leaders foster that, encourage that? and and uh, help encourage them as believers to enter these scientific fields in a way with, with, with a confident faith? I, that's an excellent question, and I think there's a couple things, one of which is to be conscious about the tendency for the evangelical church to be dismissive of science or to be fearful of science, and it's if we are paying attention to that and and try to not foster that particular mindset. And then I mentioned Romans 120, that that's a great verse to periodically bring to mind and share with our kids that, look, when we study the natural world, which is really all science is, is just studying the natural world, that we are exploring God's character and, Mm. and his nature which he says is manifest in his creation. And so as we start to see the order that's there and some of the beauty that's there, um, it it shows us things about God. As uh, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God in a sense that there is 
there's a sense in which the creation itself, as we study it, and maybe this is true for you, as you study it, you come to glorify God more through that. Is that, is that appropriate? Y- yes. And, and one other thing that we can also do is to, to pay attention to our own uh, appreciation for nature, that you know, if we're going out for a walk with our kids on a forest trail, that it's not just exercise, that we actually start being mindful of noticing things. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and prodding our kids to start saying to to, to, you know, to uh, uh, prod their interest, where that's like okay that that strange looking thing growing on the side of that tree trunk, is that part of the tree? Yeah. Where, yeah. where does it come from? Is it helping the tree? Is it taking resources from the tree? Um, that's fast. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a great word. Uh, this season, we are focusing on formation, spiritual formation, human formation. Uh, we're doing that on our podcast, on our blogs, elsewhere. Let me ask you this question. How has your work in science shaped you in your own faith? So that's, that, that's a question that I got asked in a similar fashion recently at a meeting that was worded a little bit different, so like how does science help your faith? And I said, well, naturally, scientists are better Christians, which got the the expected response which was laughter right that was a joke um and and i am mindful and appreciative that god addresses us and meets us where we're at in the way he's made us and the way we're wired and so there are going to be some people that are naturally wired to be very very inquisitive about the natural world and he he fosters that and he delights in giving us the ability to to explore and discover and learn things. Uh, other people have different interests, and and God's going to to meet them and develop those interests. Uh, for me, the the practice of science, you know, gets back to you know, at the sake of of being repetitive here, you know, that Romans one twenty, that just this understanding that when I am exploring the natural world. I'm not engaging in some secular practice. I am like a little child that is sitting, you know, with with a parent and the parent saying, "Hey, look at that." And you know, how do you suppose that works? Yeah. And giving hints. Yeah. that allow those moments of awe and wonder when you've discovered something, when you've figured something out. Uh, it teaches me things about God. That's beautiful. Uh, Dr. Davidson, you mentioned uh, a book of yours. Tell us the name of that book one more time and where our listeners can find it. Yeah, so the so the most recent book is The Manifold Beauty of Genesis 1, co-authored with Ken Turner. Uh, that can be found pretty much anywhere, you know, any distributors uh, that sell, sell books. Uh, an earlier book was called Friend of Science, Friend of Faith, and that gets into a little bit more of the science and actually walking through and working through apparent conflicts and looking at do they do they actually conflict with scripture and what kind of evidence is there if they're actually true or not yeah dr davidson thank you so much for joining us today and thank you for your work integrating faith in science and where can people follow your work so i've just recently been uh, dragged kicking and screaming into the world of social media okay all right unfortunately so, right yes <laughs> so i i do have a newly minted uh, instagram and facebook page that can be found under Greg Davidson, author, and that's Greg with two G's. Uh, and I also do have a website, gregdavidson.net, that includes all of the the science and faith kinds of books, 
as well as my hobby, which is creative writing. So you can you can find some sci-fi there too. Oh boy! All right. So if you're interested in some sci-fi, uh, Dr. Davidson's got you covered. So. Dr. Davidson, thank you so much for joining us today. We're grateful for the work that you do. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening to today's bonus episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We will be back in a few weeks for our fall season of the Christ and Culture podcast. Until then, we hope you have a great summer, and we'll see you soon.